0: Hello and welcome back to the Fine Fragrance Podcast. This week we have Chloe and Derek Max sharing on freedom. Today they teach out of the Freedom Manual about original design. They share with us some of their own journey about how God shared with them who they were made to be, and they give us some tools from Scripture to empower us to overcome the lies of the enemy and live out who God made us to be. Let's jump right in. Okay, open up to um. Oh some of these books are upside down we printed these so fast um that's funny open up to page 24 24 original design oh yeah raise your hand if you know what original design is and you've gotten yours before awesome okay awesome bookmark that i'm gonna share a little bit so Listen, I was born with this resistance towards my identity. Some of you are gonna really resonate with what I'm saying. I was born kind of with this resistance. Any encouragement spoken over me would make me squirm. I didn't like my personality very much. I didn't like the way I looked very much. And my dad caught on to this uh, when I was very young, and he refused to let me live by lies. He would do crazy things to convince me of my identity. Can I share some stories? It all began... When he would give me these hugs and he would just begin to speak, you know, affirmation. I love you. You're so pretty. You're so cute. You're so funny. And I would squirm in his arms. All I wanted was to get out and he would squeeze me tighter and tighter until I received what he was saying. Thank you, dad. I am cute. I am funny. And then he would let me go. As I got older, though, his tactics became a little bit more intense. I remember in middle school, I hated the way I looked, which honestly, it was a little reasonable considering I was buffering. I was in that stage of awkwardness. And I remember coming home from school, and I just openly talked about how ugly I was all the time. He had written a sign for me, a piece of paper that said, I am not ugly, I am beautiful. I come home from school, we're in the kitchen, he hands me the sign. I am sick of your self-hatred. You are going to run around this house declaring these words, holding the sign over and over again because this is the truth. You are not ugly. You are beautiful. So 12-year-old Chloe, you can imagine the internal manifestation like, no, But my dad, like in our family, you didn't argue with your parents, like period. Like it was gonna turn out, you're in your bedroom for days. So I got my little paper, I ran around the house. I am not ugly, I am beautiful. You know that SpongeBob episode? I am ugly and I'm proud. It was like that, but opposite. Years go by and one of the things uh, my dad really felt from the Lord that I was called to worship. I was called to sing. He always called me his little songbird. But guys, when I sang in my house, my brothers would yell at me from across the house, shut up, you sound so bad. Um, I'm in the kitchen. I'm doing dishes. And I'm maybe 14 years old at the time. My dad comes in. And I, I did not believe I was called to worship. He got me the piano lessons. I had fired my piano teacher myself. And I said she was Jezebel. I turned to her and said, I'm sick and tired of you. You are Jezebel. And she never came back. Um, (laughs) It's impressive I knew about Jezebel at that age, let's be honest. Um, But anyway, I was resistant towards being this, this woman of worship. And I'm doing the dishes. And my dad goes, Stand on the counter right now, climb up there. I want you to sing this song with every fiber of your being, as if you're leading worship. And you know, of course, I'm giggling. I'm like, I don't remember what song it was. I'm giggling through it. And he'd be like, no, sing it until you mean it. So now I'm scared, you know? And I start singing until I'm crying, and I mean every word. And I hopped off the counter believing, like, I will be the next greatest worship leader who's ever existed. Like, he, he, like, Forced it into my bones for me to believe it. Now, this one, though, I'll end with this story. This this one still makes me cringe at bed, on my bed at night. I was 18, 19, and my dad, he, worship leader, you know, all these things, but he really believed that I was called to preach. Now, this one was such... A hard thing, because even talking, I had messed up my words continually every day. And my brother was an amazing preacher. My dad was an amazing preacher. There was no reason for me to preach. He calls me. Chloe, you'll never believe this. I just accepted a speaking engagement. It's a DTS in Germany for business leaders. And I told them, I'm not going, you're going. I've never preached a day in my life. You'd think I'd be ecstatic, like, yes, what an opportunity. No, I'm on the phone arguing with my dad. I can't go. I've never preached before, dad. And he's like, God is raising up a generation of Heidi Bakers of Billy Grahams. It's not about your words. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. I know you can do it. It's going to be Amazing. I hop on the plane. I get picked up by these people when I got there and they were shocked. They were like, so how old are you? We kind of thought you'd be like 30. I'm like 18. (laughs) I go to this DTS, it's literally businessmen. They went, it was a night DTS so they could go after work. And I'm sitting in this room, 30, 40, 50-year-old, mostly men, and I began to preach for the first time in my life. Now, I'm not saying that week went good, okay? But I am saying my, my dad didn't care if the week went well. He wanted me to be convinced, convinced of who the Lord called me to be. And he would do anything for me to believe it, anything for me to say yes to it. Now, some of you are like me. The Father... His arms are wrapped around you in four years. For your whole life, he's been shouting over you your identity. This is who you are. I love you. You're my child. My favor is upon you. And like me, you squirm and you wrestle in his arms. How many of you know you cannot win a wrestle with Jesus? You cannot win a wrestle against God. You can prolong the journey, but he will win. Some of us need to end the wrestle. It's not a feeling. It's a choice you make. I will end the wrestle. And I will receive the words that he has spoken over my life. The greatest battle you will ever face is over your identity. Over who Jesus says you are. So we're going to dive in for five more minutes. And all of you are going to receive prayer this morning. And you're going to get these prophetic words over how Jesus sees you and the things you carry in your DNA. How does that sound? So open up, pardon, to page 24. I'm going to read Ephesians 2.10 for you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 11. First of all, pause. These verses, I've seen them at Cracker Barrel, okay? I've seen them on signs in grandma houses. I've seen them tattooed on people's bodies. They get cliche. These verses were never meant to be cliche. Jesus, God, handcrafted you. So renew your brain as best as you can as we read this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Psalms 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Psalms 90 verse 2, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting, everlasting, you are God. Listen, I'm not going to go in great depth. You can read page 25 later. But the greatest battles we see in scripture... The Lord goes out of his way to show us the ones he called had a great wrestle over their identity. We see Gideon. We see Esther. We see Moses. We see Abraham and Sarah. We see these people where God goes out of his way to say, hey, you're chosen. You're loved. You're going to do great things. And they go, me? No. And God has no problem coming back a second time. Hey, you're chosen. You're called. Put down the wrestle but we don't have time to go into it. That's okay. We don't have time. I want you to go to page. Um, Oh, wait. I should say this too. This is so fire. For some reason, because the church is all about now stages, microphones, whatever, fog machines, all this stuff, it can be kind of confusing to where you think God has only chosen those who have a big stage, a big personality, and then everybody else, he's given some mediocre calling. You know, maybe you're just going to be working in the business world. It's not that big a deal. Maybe he's going to take you, you know, I don't know, to South America. It's not that big. It's not that important. But scripture doesn't lay it out this way. Everyone called. Daniel 11.32 says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. I love this verse. Because it doesn't say the pastors will stand strong and do great exploits. Or the DTS leaders will stand strong and do great exploits. It says the people who know their God. Meaning anyone who knows God will stand strong and do exploits. Thank you, Mr. Motorcycle. There is an exploit on your life. Do you recognize that? There is a great mission on your life. Do you recognize that? Yeah, get excited. There is a great mission. And some of us walk around all humpty dumpty. Ugh, there's I never do anything great. I've got nothing going on with me. When you've already done exploits in your life. Some of you have already led friends to Jesus. Some of you have already started things in your high school, your college. Just getting here within itself is an exploit, there is an exploit, there is a mission on your life. I'm running out of time, here we go. Now, there are different ways we find our identity. If you're like me, I sat in DTS, and my DTS small group leader kinda knew I didn't know who I was. And she was like, it's time for you to know your identity, girl. You're all over the place. Go to the prayer room, and get it from God. So I went to the prayer room, I got my Justin Bieber journal, 2012. (laughs) That's right. I opened it up and I sat there with the music going and I wrote, okay, you're a daughter of God. You're a princess. (laughs) And I ran out of things. I didn't know how to find my identity. And some of you right now are resonating, I so want that, Chloe, but I don't know how to find my identity. There are a few ways we find out who we are. Number one is the word. The word is chock full of promises over who you are. On page 27, you see a handful, a child of God, a royal heir, an ambassador of Christ, a saint, fully righteous in Christ, an enemy of the devil. And the list goes on and on. In the back of your freedom manual, there's a page called the Christian birthright card. See where it's at. It is full, I think, 30, 40 verses, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, 15, 20, of promises over who you are. I want you later to look through that. That's your homework. Get stoked. Number two, seek the Lord yourself. How many of you have ever had a moment that was too divine and you go, okay, God went out of his way just now. I think he's encountering me. I think he's telling me who I am. That could look like him giving you a dream. A vision, an w- encouragement uh, through somebody else that was too supernatural. That could be the overwhelming joy you have when you do something and walk in obedience and you go, I was made for that. Number three, within the church, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Scripture is clear that we are eagerly to desire the gift of prophecy. God wants to speak to you through others hearing his voice. Everyone can hear the shepherd's voice. Some of us can hear it a little bit crazier and better than others. But guess what? We get to eagerly desire it and continue to grow in it. You will, get, you will get some wacky words here and there. Okay? And you're supposed to test them and bring them to the Lord. You don't have to receive everything everybody prophesies over you. Okay? But the Lord wants to use people to encourage you. Lastly is this. Page 29. Do you see this little chart? One of the greatest ways that you can know who Jesus has called you to be is the enemy will hit you with the exact opposite. The enemy will hit you with the exact opposite of who you're created to be. He's not that sneaky. He's not that well thought out. He just hits you with the opposite. Can you see this list? The enemy has worked through life circumstances, people, situations, and our response to them to create an identity. Selfish and self preoccupied. God says you're a servant and a promoter of others. You struggle with being victimized and full of self pity. God says you're one who gives hope and encouragement. You think you're hardened and numb. God's called you to be soft hearted and connected emotionally. Ladies and gentlemen, listen if you're one of those people that's like, I don't ever cry, I'm a hard hearted little person. I can never be moved by anything. Get ready. God's called you to be soft-hearted in Mr. or Mrs. Tears. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. Unforgiving and bitter. Forgiving and filled with love. Filled with self-hatred. One who knows they are approved by God. Depressed and sorrowful, a person of contagious joy. Introverted and shy, outgoing and bold. Derek and I have said this a thousand times. You might have been called shy your whole life. Jesus doesn't talk like that. Jesus points out Gideon and says, be strong and courageous. He calls Moses and says, lead my people. You were not created shy. The enemy hates your voice. The enemy hates what you carry and he's just tried so hard to shut you up your whole life. This will be the season that you use your mouth, that you open it and realize God's given you a message that is powerful. Visionless and confused, God's called you clear-minded and filled with vision and direction. Fearful and unable to trust, God's called you courageous and not suspicious of others. Cautious and afraid to witness, guess what? Bold witness with a voice that is filled with God's power. Derek, will you come up here? How many of you are able to identify here a little bit those big wrestles in your life and you can see how God has called you to be the opposite? Just four of you? How many have felt the wrestle? No, come on, raise your hand. Felt the warfare, felt the attack against who you were called to be and you have fought Today is a day of breakthrough and it starts with radical agreement over who he says you are. Who is ready to end the wrestle with God? All right, we're going to we're going to demonstrate right now what it's like getting prayer for your identity. Are you ready? I want to pray for this young man here, red long sleeve. Yeah. Is he staff? Well, are you staff? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> this is great. Jake, awesome. Good to meet you. Good to meet you you got your original design before? Yeah. We'll, we'll add some more butter. Add
1: some, butter. add some more sauce. Yeah, Lord, thank you for Jake. Lord, we just ask that you would speak. Um, anything you want to say about his original design, Lord, in Jesus' name?
0: Yeah, the first thing I saw was like you as this little kid. And the Lord said, set apart. And I saw you were able to, like, be that friend that can go in all these different friend groups. But at the same time, he's called you so set apart that you always feel different than everybody. And I just saw the Lord has so crafted you uniquely that he's almost not allowed you to have, like, super close friends or super close everybody. Because he's setting you apart for something so unique in your life. Does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ask again or we just ask anything else you want to speak about jake in jesus name
0: i just saw this picture of you and you were praying and it was like thunderous it was like crazy you were going so at it and i just heard that the lord's really anointed you for intercession in a real way not in a religious i gotta pray my guts out but partnering with jesus's heart and like jeremiah feeling those burdens from the lord and it just erupted out of you
1: Um, I I saw a picture that you, uh, uh, other people were walking past you and you had sat in the dirt to minister to one person and healing was flowing through your hands. And I just felt the Lord's deposit in you a great compassion for those around you where where you see something, you can't stop, you you can't move past it, you have to stop and you have to minister. And so, yeah, does that, do do these resonate? Yeah. Do these resonate if you know him? Okay. So that's helpful too if you're around friends and you're like, I don't know if that's me. And then your friend's like, You're crazy. Shut up. Just listen. Um, anything else? Yeah, I yeah. One yeah. Thing.
0: The last picture I saw was you were preparing these gifts for all these other people and you didn't wrap it like normally. It was so creative. And I just saw you were, so, well, I think there might be a creative gift on your life, but I saw you were so just well thought out to bless other people. It was like extravagant. And I feel like it's going to bleed into how you're a dad one day, how you're going to pursue your wife one day. It was just this like generous, creative, wild love that you carry.
1: I, I only know how to speak in one way. It's, well, it's not true, totally, but... Um, you know, when I was five, I was sexually abused, And then again, at eight, some of you can resonate with that. Um, when I was 12, my parents got divorced, not like a they just suddenly split. But the kind of divorce where you're the kid and they're fighting so violently, that you have to be the one to wake up, break them up from fighting. Um, when I was in high school, I did a ton of drugs. I got arrested. When I was 18 years old and joined YWAM, I had no idea, zero idea that I would be a preacher. Listen, listen to me very carefully, guys. Right now, you think that the things in your past are obstacles and excuses for you to use to give God a reason on why he can't use you. I, I'm... I should not be standing before you guys because of all the excuses. When when I was in high school, I had a stutter. How many of you took public speaking in high school? How many of you were the last person to give your speech because you hated it so much, but you thought it would be an easy grade, so you took it? That was me. I I got a C minus in public speaking. How do you get a C minus in public speaking? It's it's the easiest class. You just have to get up and say things properly. I couldn't do it. You have plenty of excuses on why God can't use you. In this next 45 minutes, I want to take all your excuses, blow them up, and get you to believe that God wants to use you. Moses, now, how many of you, if you walked out of this Ohana court and there was a bush on fire and it spoke to you, I'm God, how many of you would become an atheist later in life? Probably not. You've had a supernatural experience with God in such a way. Moses had this experience. God says to him, I want to use you to be the deliverer of Israel. And what does Moses do? Anybody know? He gives him excuses on why he can't use him. I've got to stutter. I love God's reply to Moses. Who made your mouth? As if to say, Derek. You have all these reasons on why you can't be used. Um, I gave you your experience experiences, Derek, so that I could use you. They're not an obstacle to me. I placed them in your life so that you would have something to say to people. Some of you have experiences from your past that you feel like you'll never recover from. And your recovery is not you... Getting a bunch more counseling. Do it. I love counseling. Chloe's getting her degree in counseling. And all of those things, great. Um, But I have to say this. The the question to why things happen in your past is probably not going to get answered in your lifetime. It's probably going to be answered somewhere in eternity. The the reason why, not the right question. Um, Rather, God... I'm going to give you these experiences so that I can use you. There's people right now stuck in human trafficking and you might be a person to reach them and your testimony might be the reason that you can reach them. Um, I hate unbelief. There isn't anything in the scripture that God hates more than unbelief. In The book of Hebrews, over and over again, the writer says the same thing different ways, but he makes it explicitly clear in chapter 4. What was the reason that Israel could not enter the promised land? Uh, Now, I want you to imagine it. How many of you have ever wanted to see a miracle that was just so undeniably God that you had no reason to doubt him ever again in the future? Um, Guess what? Miracles might be a doorway into faith, um, but they will not be sustaining and long lasting. Israel's your proof. They saw miracles that you could, that you will never see. Moses, the burning bush. There's these 10 plagues. Can you imagine that God using you to such a degree to bring justice on, you know, North Korea or something crazy? And you're like, you show up in North Korea and you're like sending frogs today to terrorize the people. Here's the rivers turning to blood. Here's all these things happening. You, you get delivered as a people. You walk through the Jordan on dry grounds. You go through the Jordan. You're out in the wilderness. You come to this mountain and God descends upon it. Lightning and thunder and trumpets. And you're terrified out of your mind. And God speaks to the people out from this mountain. Would any of you become atheists afterwards? Would any of you become unbelieving? You might want to say no, but Israel did. Fascinating. Israel became unbelieving, and I tell you this, if you want to be used by God, the first thing you have to believe is that He can use you in your brokenness, in your weakness. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Paris, and I was driving this stupid electric car. Not I, I like electric cars. They're great. It just... Um, this particular electric car was stupid. And so I was, I was getting off the highway to go and charge the car and go back to the place that I was staying. And when I got off the highway, there was this long stretch, there's this median, and there was this long stretch of grass. And as I looked, I started to notice these guys sitting around campfires in these army tents all behind them. And there were rats running around their feet, and they were cooking food, and it was disturbing. And as I got closer to the roundabout, there was probably a 1,000 to 1,500 of these men freezing cold winter in Paris, just sitting there making friends with the rats. I got back to the place that I was staying, and I asked the people there, hey, who were all those guys? Have you ever seen those guys hanging on the side of the road like that? Um, Yeah, they're refugees from Africa, and we have millions of them. There's thousands of them around the city just like that Chloe went to bed that night and I was sitting there I couldn't go to sleep Uh, have you ever had a moment where you feel so insignificant so small so tiny question in my mind how could anybody ever reach the issues just this one issue of refugee crisis in Paris how could it ever be reached then I thought about Berlin and I thought about London and New York City and Los Angeles and I thought about all the needs. Right now, 3.1 billion people across the globe who've never heard the gospel and no chance. Can you imagine if I told you there was 3.1 billion people somewhere on the planet that didn't have access to oxygen or water? What would you do? I should give money to that. Most Christians go, oh, that's someone else's job, person next, next to me's job, pastor's job. Stay in my nice, comfortable this. I was sitting there. How? How could we ever impact the globe? There's 40 to 50 million people right now in modern day slavery. More people on the planet in slavery right now than ever before in human history. Human trafficking, sexual exploitation, forced labor. You hear those things and most people go, eh? Bummer. You're the solution. I sat there thinking to myself, sitting there in my unbelief, how could I ever affect, oh, the Lord spoke to me. He didn't speak to me in an audible voice. It was just an obvious reality. It, you guys are the answers. It, it's the young people of this generation. It, it's Gen Z taking their eyes off themselves and you meeting the need. You know, human history, church history, is a testimony of pretty much one thing. God taking a bunch of young people. Don't you love that God chose teenagers to be the apostles? You ever thought about that? You think John was a seminary student at the age of 45? John was probably the oldest disciple. And he was probably like 19 or 20 when Jesus showed up on the shore of Galilee, calling him as, to be a fisher of men. Peter was probably like 16, 17. What's your excuse? I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. You know, church history tells us what Paul probably looked like. There's, there's an early church writing about what he looked like. I can't tell you if this is true or not. This is the only description we have of what Paul looked like. He was short, he was balding, he had a hooked nose like a witch. He was bow-legged, and apparently when he spoke to the Corinthians, he wasn't able to speak in such a way that was authoritative and domineering. It wasn't this bold, it wasn't Derek Mack-like. Ah, nice and loud. He showed up in weakness and fear and much trembling. And some scholars, many scholars think that the thorn in the flesh that Paul had at the end of his life was going blind. Now, whether you believe that or not, let's just assume this, Um, you got a balding, hook-nosed, bow-legged, short guy who's not very authoritative in the way he speaks, and he's going blind. And Time Magazine has had the audacity to rank the most famous people and influential throughout human history. Number one is Jesus, of course. Number four, the Apostle Paul, balding, bow-legged, blind guy. What's your excuse? What is your excuse? Please. The only thing, your flaws and your frailty and your past is no reason. Not only is it not a reason um, for God to say, I can't use you. um, It is the reason that God wants to take you and use you. He only uses broken people. He only uses people that have excuses and think they're small and think they're weak. Um, it's a testimony of scripture, isn't it? Can you imagine if I got up here and said, hey guys, um, two years ago, I cheated on my wife and I murdered someone. Most of you would go, uh, why did they have this guy come and speak? But if David got up here, you'd listen to him. You do every day when you read the Psalms. What about Abraham? What if I, what if I told you guys, hey, my wife and I traveled to a certain country this last year, and I was so terrified that they were going to kill me because she's so beautiful, um, that I gave my wife away to another man so that they would think that we're brother and sister. You know, okay, that guy's strange. Maybe he needs to be sitting and listening to the freedom class right now. Um, don't you listen to Abraham every day? Um, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, do you know who's your dad? According to the Scripture, that you walk in the faith of Abraham, and he's the father of the faith. Um, God only uses people that that have those excuses and can overcome their excuses by faith. The Scripture says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth and search for hearts totally his so that he can show strong support for the one whose heart is just his totally his um i don't know what your perception of god is like if you think he's boring if he's a far-off stoic being this kind of dramatic figure with a beard in heaven just kind of angry looking the bible tells you what god is doing right now his eyes are peering over the balconies of heaven I want you to think about this. This makes this moment so much different, so much more than just me speaking to you. If you understand that God in heaven has his eyes peering over the balconies of heaven, not looking at Mauna Kea, not looking at the Himalayas, not looking at the Eiffel Tower or any building that we've constructed, not looking at the Ohana Court, eyes peering over, staring straight at you. One question, your heart totally mine. If it is, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Chloe, I don't know if she mentioned this Bible verse, but uh, Daniel 11, 32. Those who know their God will be strong and take action. If you're not strong and you don't take action, I know one thing about you. You don't know God. It's what the Bible says. You don't know God because you had a feeling one time. You don't know God because you can repeat Bible verses to me. If You know God. Your life looks dramatically different. You're strong and you take action. My father-in-law, Chloe's dad, greatest man that I've known for sure. More impact on me than anybody else. Uh, He started a church in Tacoma, Washington that exploded. Young people, revival. A lot of the material, the Freedom Manual was written in the early 2000s in his church. And the, the church started because, this is fascinating, one of the reasons that the Freedom Manual was written, I should say, is because the first time his pastor had him preach. this is a wild story. Um, I hope this doesn't offend you guys. Um, it's a wild story. He got up and he preached about a religious spirit, what it means to be religious like a Pharisee. And at the end of the message, a guy stood up, demonically manifested, and started yelling out to the congregation, calling out everybody's sin in the church, specifically the elders. You're in adultery, you're addicted to pornography, this, that, and the other thing, and he was right. And they had no idea how to deliver him. He was a cessationist. Brian didn't believe that the gifts of the Spirit still function today. So he was trying to go like YouTube video on it, like I guess maybe I put my Bible on the guy and he'll just start to writhe around. Maybe I put a wooden cross on him. They had to call the Pentecostal church down the road. What do we do? We don't believe in this, but it's happening. He thought he had ruined the church, right? So he called the pastor. Hey, this happened today. I don't know if anybody's coming back to your church. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Preach that same message again the next time, next service. So he did. And this time, there was a woman in the congregation, and she was a witch. And she got up, and she started calling out everybody's sin in the church at the end of the day. Fascinating. Um, how do I see people free that are in that kind of bondage, bondage, this demonic bondage, this religious bondage? That's where the Freedom Manual comes from. And fascinating, this church exploded. Five hundred young people, university students—they were in every high school in the city in Tacoma, Washington. They were in the prisons. They were reaching everybody. In about two thousand seven, two thousand eight, he went to a conference. That Reinhard Bonnke was hosting. Anybody know Reinhard Bonnke? Famous German evangelist, one of Brian's heroes. And he went to the conference, he's excited. It's like 50 to 100 evangelists. He shouldn't even be in the room. He's stoked out of his mind. At the end of Reinhard's first message, listen, at the end of Reinhard's first message, he gets up, everybody starts shaking people's hands. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And he gets to Brian and he looks at him and he said, You, sir! When was the last time you did something preposterous with your life? Do you have a church salary? Church salary. Um, you need to get rid of your church salary and do something preposterous with your life. Um, can you imagine your hero, Francis Chan here, and you're like, I just want to shake his hand. And he gets up and he says, man, you are so missing it right now. You're like, I hate Francis Chan. I'm deconstructing from the church now. Um, Brian, to recover... From being rebuked by his hero, went to the donut table. How many of you comfort yourself with food when you don't feel so good? Um, he did, and so he went to the donut table. Reinhard Bonke's assistant is there, and without hearing what Reinhard had said, looked at Brian and said, "You, sir, do you have a church salary?" Yes, I got a church salary. You need to get rid of your church salary and do something preposterous with your life. Brian began to weep. He went out into the parking lot. He was wheelchair chairing his wife. Can you imagine this? you got a sick wife that's been that way for like 20, 25 years. You're sitting there. You started a church that's exploding. And you hear from your two heroes. You're not living preposterously. You're living very safe and comfortably. Uh, Brian repented in the parking lot, went back, gave his church away. Lauren Cunningham, Darlene Cunningham asked him to move here. Kona, Hawaii. They moved here. Um... $1,500 Fifteen hundred dollars of monthly support with four kids and a sick wife. Joins Andy Bird, Fire and Fragrance, and what God was doing in the early days of Fire and Fragrance. Amy Ward has the, the word about uh, the circuit riders and circuit riders riding across America into Europe. All these, she gives that word to Brian and Andy. Brian and Andy start the Circuit Rider School in 2011. That explodes. 300 people show up. They had no idea where they came from. We did circuit rider schools the next summer. We did our first university event at USC. 1,200 people came, most of them unsaved. Two, 300 people responded to the gospel. We started Carry the Love Tour, which now reaches 600 different universities and cities around the world. All because one man was told, you're not being preposterous. What does your life look like? What would people say if they saw your life? Um, I'm here. Let me be a little bit of, uh, you guys know the story of Esther. Um, Brian would write Chloe poems. And in the poems, she was blue, that was her name, and his name was Mordecai. And if you know the story of Esther, Mordecai is awesome comes to, to Esther. Hey, Esther, did you hear the plot from Haman to kill all the Jews? You've got to do something. What is Esther's reply? She gives an excuse. What's her excuse? Come on, theologians, what's the excuse? I could die. Mordecai, I'm not doing that. If I, don't show, if I show up before the king and he hasn't invited me, he could kill me on the spot. <sighs> Mordecai's reply. Allow me to be a Mordecai to you today. Mordecai's reply, Esther, you think that you're safe in the palace. You're not. You and your name will perish. Uh, God will raise up a deliverer from somewhere else. But who knows, Esther? Maybe you were born for this exact moment. Listen to me very carefully. Most of you didn't create the problems in society today. Most of you, you were born at a time where you have almost nothing to do with what's going on in society right now. Will you take responsibility nonetheless? Will you be the answers for your generation? I find it deeply offensive. Don't you wish Jesus just stayed on the planet and had a YouTube channel and a podcast? Had the biggest mega church out of Jerusalem. He started wearing tight jeans and just reaching everybody and we didn't really have to do anything. I find it offensive that the scripture in John says, it's better that I leave. Do you guys think that's true? That it's better that he leave so he could send the Holy Spirit on you and you could be the people that witness that you become the light of the world? It's offensive to me. Um, But it's Jesus' way. You're the answer. You were born for such a time as this. Um, The book of Daniel, the most explicit faith statement um, outside of Hebrews chapter 11. Most explicit faith statement I see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're they're not bowing down to this idol. Um, Do you bow down to the idols of your day because it keeps you safe from persecution and protection from other people? Um, well, I don't want to rock the boat. And you know, I've got to be a loving Christian. So I'm not going to say anything that would rock the boat. Um, I love that Jesus' love isn't silent, it's not quiet, it's not on the sidelines. Like I said, I'm a Cowboys fan, tragically. And can you imagine? You're watching an NFC championship game this weekend. 49ers and the Lions. Shout out. Jared Jared Goff runs out of the field. First play, gets in the huddle. Okay, this is the play. Remember, we practice all week. This is our first one. We're going to run. Break. And everybody runs to the sidelines. You're sitting there watching. Um, Okay, I've never seen that before. I got to motivate him again. Jared Goff. Come on, on, guys. Remember the play. We're going to run. Let's do it. Run the play. Break. Everybody runs to the sidelines. You go, that's weird. That's strange. Isn't that what happens most Sundays in America? Pastor calls the play. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's how, how we're supposed to live. Let's go. Let's do it. Everybody break. Go sit on the sideline. And do my DTS six months. This is what you're supposed to do. This is supposed to be how you live. Break. Go back home. Completely normal. Completely safe. Completely comfortable. Um... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, felt a different spirit, uh, a faith. They don't bow the knee. They come before Nebuchadnezzar, and he's furious, and they say one of the most sassy and ridiculous statements, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, as if to say, how cute are you? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Do you guys know that Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon he was the king of kings. That's what he was called. He, he was the king above all kings. He's maybe one of the most famous ancient figures there is. And these three unknown Hebrew teenagers, young men, whatever they were, go, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. That's the first state faith statement right there. He's able. Um, you know what will make your outreach incredible? is if you're not going and focusing on how good is my experience. And I wonder what the food's going to be like in Burundi or Kenya. And I hope I have a good time. And I hope I take some nice photos. But if you go and you're just, God is able to do anything he wants through my life right now. Um, uh, He's able. He's able, Nebuchadnezzar. He will deliver us. That's the second faith statement. He will do it. Revelation chapter 7 paints this picture of every tribe and every tongue, every ethnos, every language, every people group standing before the throne of God. Right now, uh, there's 7,000 people groups or so that have never heard the gospel and have no chance of hearing it. Yet the Bible tells me that those people groups will end up Before the throne, worshiping the Lamb. What's the connecting piece? What's the connector? You. When you go on outreach, some of you are gonna go to places that there's no witness of the church right now, and you're gonna go there, and you might be the person that brings someone from that people group, and Revelation chapter seven happens because of your gospel proclamation. Because you're the witness, because you're the person. Um, He's able, he will, um, and even if he doesn't. Faith is not about receiving what was promised. Faith is much more about trust and love for the promiser. You, you, You think faith is just... God heals the sick. Okay, so I believe that promise. God heals the sick. And you go and pray for someone, and someone doesn't get healed. I guess it doesn't work. or I guess this isn't true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, all these, talking about the Old Testament saints, all these died without receiving what was promised. Your life, you are going to plant trees around you. That you will not sit in the shade of. You're going to do things. You're going to say yes to things. That the next generation will inherit. Because of your yes. And you won't receive it. You won't even see it. It's going to be in your future kids. It's going to be in the people around you. Even if he doesn't. Um, And you know what's fascinating? Uh, God didn't. And did. Deliver them from the fire. He didn't. Okay, you're not going to have to go through suffering. You're not going to have to feel the heat. Everything's going to be easy for you. Till Can you imagine them? They get thrown in. Who knows? They're bound up, whatever. They're thrown in. The two guys, the three guys that throw them in die because it's so hot. And so they're thrown in. Can you imagine them being tossed? And you're like, here it is. He, w- he can. He's able. He will and even if he doesn't, which one will it be? It doesn't matter. I love the promiser. And when they're in the fire, who's there with them? Man, this is what inspires faith, is go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you, always, to the end of the age. You're about to go into a fire, Peter. You're about to go into a fire, John. You're about to go into a fire, Paul. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, if you went off to war, if you went off to battle, sorry, ladies, I like, should have been a Marine. I know these analogies don't totally work for you, but just imagine it. You're going off to battle. You've got no ammo. You've got no weapon. You've got an assignment to go out to battle. You're sitting, how scared are you? Terrified. You know you're going to die. But what if you go out to battle with 500,000 soldiers to your right and your left? And you got warships off the coast, and they're sending bombs, and there's helicopters, and there's planes, and you got all the best technology, and you're like, uh, bullet's not even going to come near me. Um, why do you not fear? What's the difference in those situations? Who's with you? Who's with you? Um, he can. He will. And even if he doesn't. Um, the most powerful stories are oftentimes the people who said yes. And the outcome that they wanted didn't happen. But they still say yes. That's why I mentioned that woman Perpetua yesterday who died in a Roman gladiator ring. Putting up her hair saying today is not a day of sorrow and sadness. Today is a day of triumph and joy. Um, Um, love you. There was this period where the Catholic Church needed to be reformed, and a man named Martin Luther brought this reformation, and if you're a Protestant, it's because of this man named Martin Luther with all his flaws. A hundred years before Martin Luther, there was this Czech guy, anybody from the Czech Republic here? Shout out, okay, dang, you're from Nebraska, uh. It's like the exact opposite of uh, the Czech Republic. Um, Jan Hus was this man from Prague, and he was preaching that the Bible is the sole authority for the church. They called him to make disputation. They called him to have a debate about who was right about their doctrine. And they promised him safe passage. He wasn't going to be put on trial or put in prison. Remember, this is 100 years before Martin Luther And he shows up there, they immediately throw him in prison, prison and they say, you better recant, or we're going to burn you at the stake. Um, And when he's being burned at the stake, because he didn't recant, his name, Jan Hus, Jan is John in English, Hus in Czech is goose. He looked at the bishop, the cardinal that was going to burn him at the stake, and he said, you may roast this goose, but 100 years from now, a swan is going to come, and you won't be able to keep him from singing. Almost 100 years later on the dot, Martin Luther shows up. And if you go look at Martin Luther in the paintings of him, there's sometimes, most of the time, there's a swan somewhere in the back, background because he's his swan. I, I tell you this, guys, throughout church history, over and over again, When the time seems most desperate is the time where God gets the most glory for moving. It's not when everything looks great. It's when everything's terrible and there's no hope and there's no way that the situation could be transformed and changed. Nothing good could happen from here. And that's the moment where he raises up a Gideon or a Deborah or a David. Um, And I'm here to tell you that you are those of your generation. You are the people of your generation, and you have two options. You can be one of two categories of people. You can be like the ten spies that go into the land, and they come out and say to Moses, Moses, there's giants in there. There is no way that we could conquer and defeat the enemy. It's one category. Second category, Joshua and Caleb, they come out of the promised land, and they go, yeah, there's giants in there. Um, But they're our breakfast, Moses. We're going to eat them for lunch. God's already given us the land. Who cares who's there? We've got God. That's all we need. Listen. Unbelief bows its knee to the obstacles. Faith bows its knee to the promise and the promiser. You are one of two people on this planet. Do you bow your knee to obstacle? Your past. I was abused know how to talk. My parents got divorced. I didn't have a dad growing up. Um, or your presence. present. I can't talk. I'm ugly. I'm not smart. I am so glad that the way you look, your socioeconomic background has nothing to do with if you can be used by God or not. Your goal is not to go in the mirror, okay, I've got to believe that I'm beautiful and then therefore God will use me after I believe that I'm beautiful. No! Forget about yourself! Who cares? Your goal is not. Oh, I got to be all this perfect American Western pastor. Um, Chloe's dad had this picture, this dream, this vision. And in the vision, there was this lady, and she struggled with self-hatred super intensely her whole life. And God called her to go to an orphanage. And while she was in the orphanage, she was serving these kids, and she's doing all this stuff. And after she had put the kids down this one particular night, She was doing the dishes, and she realized, man, I haven't struggled with self-hatred in so long. I haven't, why don't I struggle with self-hatred now? Why don't I have those problems that I used to have? And she realized it's because she was looking at other people, and she wasn't looking at herself anymore. She wasn't so consumed. Uh, The more you get, everybody in Scripture who gave an excuse to Jesus or to God on why they couldn't be used it always was because I am, I can't, me, me, me. And they didn't look, God's talking to me right now. I should shut up. I should be quiet. And I should let him do whatever the heck he wants to do through my life. And I plead with you guys that you would be that way. Um, Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this by faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he was to receive as an inheritance. Um, the English is not, uh, it doesn't say it as directly as the Greek says it. And if you were to read it in Greek, this is what it would sound like. While Abraham was hearing the promise, while he, Abraham was hearing the command, he had his bags packed and he was ready to leave. How many of you have ki- as kids had a sleepover? And while you were planning the sleepover, you asked your parents, set of parents, right? And your parents started to talk about the, you know, like what are we gonna do? Where are are they gonna go? When are you gonna come back? You remember that moment where your two parents were talking? What were you doing? You were upstairs. You're packing your bags. You're ready to go. You're taking your toys. You're taking whatever. That's exactly what the Bible describes. While God, it's like this. Abraham, I need you to go. And before Abraham hears the word go, he has his bad packed. His family is getting them together. He's already on the walk while he's hearing it still. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. You can't have faith and not obey. It makes zero sense. I'm going to use you. And then you never go out and lay your hands on the sick. I'm going to use you, but you never open your mouth. I'm going to use you, but you never go to school, get a nice job, make a bunch of money so that you can send it to a bunch of missionaries and you live in a two-bedroom apartment because you're like, I don't want to live for money, but I want to make money so that YWAM can be funded. Did you know, this is fascinating, some of you are not called to YWAM. Some of you are called to go and make millions of dollars and give a lot of it away. 100%. 100%. Um, the American church gives 1% of all its donation offerings income. 1% of it goes to foreign missions. 1%. 99% goes to church salaries, buildings, and local projects. 99%. 1% goes to foreign missions. If the American church, just the American church, gave, doubled it, gave 2%, Every missions organization and every missionary on the planet could be fully funded just by doubling from 1% to 2%. Some of you are sitting here right now like, I don't have my outreach fees. God, let it go up to 2%, 2% in the next three months. Please. Uh, that's not going to change unless one of you hears that and goes, I'm not called to the Middle East. I'm called to New York City to make a bunch of money in the stock exchange. And all my friends from DTS that are in YWAM still, here's the money. My, my, this, is, this is awesome. My, my, first, my, first, um, my first person I worked with at a university was at TCU, Fort Worth, Texas. And hosted this event. It was awesome. We worked together for the next two or three years. And after he left... He had this wrestle. He wanted to be a missionary. But he goes, I feel God's calling me to change the culture of business and missions in America. And my largest supporter is this 27-year-old former university student that I worked with. And he gives me, like, well over a grand a month. Just boom. Here you go. He's not talking about it. He's doing it. Um, Some of you are that guy. Some of you are the person to the Middle East. Some of you are the person that... God's going to burden you so dramatically about human trafficking. And the burden is going to be too great, and you're going to start to take small steps, little steps here and there, and then all of a sudden, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to be shocked at how much impact you had just because you continually said, yes, you heard, God can use me, man. He can. He can use me in my weakness, in my brokenness. And as you step, as you hear the command, as you hear the promise, you step and obey and, Who knows what God does through your life afterwards. Um, I got to speak at the Send in Kansas City two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, 30,000 people. When I was doing my DTS, I had zero plan of preaching in front of 30,000 people. Some of you have a little bit of pride in your heart and you're like, I need the microphone. I'm a preacher. This guy, Derek, cool, Um, but I have some sauce for him. To give me the microphone. I wasn't that way. It was not my thoughts. I wanted to avoid the microphone as much as possible until I got burdened. You'd rather listen to a preacher that's burdened by the need around them than the preacher who knows theology and doctrine perfectly. The person who can say it. Would you rather have Francis Chan come get up here, get, get up here and just go, God. open your Bibles right now to this and let me tell you why I think you should be a missionary and it's a pretty good idea for your life and your parents you know they're awesome but maybe not and so um here you go and have a great day um would you rather go man every time someone encountered God in scripture there was a two-letter word attached to it go everyone Noah go out from your ark Abraham go out from your family in the land that I've had you in and go to the place that I'm showing you. Moses, here I am. Let me send you to Pharaoh now. Go to your people. David, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't even give, give God an excuse. God confronts his excuse before he can even utter it. Do not tell me you're young. Yeah, but Derek. Yeah, but God. Um, Do not tell me that you're young, Jeremiah. I've called you, I've made you, I've ordained you while you were in your mother's womb. Now, oh, that's such a cute verse, and he was in there, and he gave me my dimples, and that's so awesome. No, he gave you a calling in your mother's womb. He set you apart from your mother's womb. Uh, Go. Ezekiel um, got picked up by the Holy Spirit, and God sent him and said, Go and say in, hearing, in the hearing of Jerusalem. What's John 3.16 say? That he what? Uh, Greek words more clear. God so loved the world that he sent. If God made Jesus Christ a missionary, what do you think he wants to do with you? Did you hear that? You better than Jesus? Jesus, you can be a sent one. I can be one who sits comfortably. If God made everybody in Scripture, you, you've encountered God, right? You had a he prayed for you last week. Uh, I felt little, um, got up. Everything was normal. Still looking at pornography. Nothing changed. Um, why? Because maybe your encounter with God for the last however many years that you've been following him has been based on your own terms instead of his terms. And his terms always have to do with, go, get your eyes off yourself. This isn't for a nice butterfly feeling. It's so you can change the world. Um, I have zero clue what God's going to do with some of you in this room. Um, But if you're anything like me, and you showed up in your DTS, and you walked in, I walked into the living room where I was staying, and they were playing Catan. They were nerds. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm a part of a cult. They're playing <laughs> board games. This is ridiculous. Um, I had just done drugs just, just before I got, off, got on the plane. And I'm sitting there walking in Catan. The first time I heard someone speak in tongues... Praying tongues. I looked at the guy next to me and I go, why is he speaking in baby language? Um, my first week of my DTS, I was just, the, the, my whole DTS, people were getting prayer for crazy stuff. They're going to be missionaries and evangelists. And one guy had gold dust fall on him. And I was sitting there like, I don't even know if I believe this is real, but it's happening before my eyes. People are falling over. Everybody's excited. I'm just sitting there trying to get John 3.16 down. Just trying to learn to read my bible for once. I'm on outreach. Everybody wants to go back in staff, but Derek's different. I'm not going to come back in staff. The day after my DTS, I'm at the beach. A guy comes up to me it's from the house of prayer there, and he goes, "Hey man, I feel you're supposed to come back in staff." And I go, "Okay, sure." Um was the one guy who didn't want to come back in staff. I came back in staff, and I'm one of two people from my DTS that's still in YWAM. I'm one of about three guys on my DTS that's still following Jesus. I didn't have all the prophetic words. I didn't have the feelings up front. I I didn't have all the things that we love about this experience that you're getting. Please, this experience is not about you. It's about something so much greater. It's that 12 years from now. You're still following Jesus radically and you're obeying and you're not taking your life and diminishing it and making it. Someone else is going to do something great. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. God can use you. Um, He's used uh, the funniest people throughout human history, throughout church history. And I bet you, some of you in this room are going to have a similar testimony to me. Um, in the next few years before we go I want to pray for you guys Um, would you stand for this last moment maybe you have unbelief about your finances I had $400 of monthly support when I became a missionary which means you're homeless Um, for a year for a year I only ate eggs, ground beef, and cheese. <laughs> like, um, it's all I could afford if I wanted to pay rent. Um, my parents came to me and they were so mad at me for being a missionary. I told you that yesterday. And they said, uh, you know, always, constantly, you gotta go to school, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Um, and I looked at my dad or the phone. Tears in my eyes because I was just so fed up with this. And I said, Dad, I don't want one more dollar from you or Mom. Um, I'm going to show you that I'm called to this by God providing for me. And for a number of years, never got one cent from my parents. um, And over and over and over again, God would provide. I remember my second outreach I led. I was going to go into debt to the base to go on it. I walk into the finance office. It was kind of like the board of shame. It had names written on it and how much you owed. And so I walked in there every day, and there's my name, $4,000. I walked in one day, my name was a race. And I go to the lady, I said, I didn't pay that off. Can you put my name back on? I need to see how much I owe. And she goes, oh, someone came in last night and paid it. Um, and to this day, I still, I still have no idea who paid that. Um, over and over and over again. You might think it just comes from supernatural means. Maybe some of you need to become Lyft drivers like I was to make a little extra cash. God gave you Lyft and Uber just so you could be a missionary. Or maybe you're supposed to make your own clothing brand. Maybe you're supposed to have a side gig, whatever it is. Maybe you're like Paul. You have a tent-making job. Um, if you're called to this, finances do not need to be an obstacle for you. Um, maybe you have unbelief about your future spouse. Um, i would never getting married, man. I'm weird. I'm strange. Guess what? There might be even someone in this room right now that's super strange and weird like you and has the same calling and is called to the Middle East and is called to Afghanistan and is going to go with you and is going to be just as excited as you are. Don't have unbelief. God's got a partner for you. You know what's fascinating? God to Adam and Eve in the garden did not make their relationship about sex or the way they looked. He didn't make it about how many cards Adam wrote her, or how good she was at making food. Um, Why did God give Adam a wife? One, because he was lonely. (laughs) And number two, um, she's going to be your helper as you do your job, Adam. Adam. So men in the room, you probably need a lady by your side who's just as capable of reaching the lost as you are. Maybe. Just maybe. Um, last one, and this is the one I love to focus on, is uh, God using your, your mouth. Maybe you have unbelief that God won't use you. Um, we did this at Care the Love event in Prague in the Czech Republic. Almost fell off. Um, Shout out. Um, (laughs) That's why you lift weights so that you're sturdy and balanced. Um, uh, This 15-year-old girl came to our event. She heard a very similar message to what you guys heard today. She went out in the streets right after the event. She's 15 years old. Uh, she went right onto the street, started preaching the gospel. Three days later, we get a message on our Instagram from some guy who says, hey, this young lady came on the street. She preached the gospel to me. I was an atheist. I responded. She told me about your event and told me I needed to get connected with you guys so I could get into discipleship. Who's this girl? A few months later, we find out that she's open air preaching on buses and trains in Prague. We later find out Because my wife started walking with this girl after we got connected with her. We later find out that she's in a deeply broken home. Uh, Her dad's abusive. Her mom's abusive. And yet at the same time, she's constantly preaching the gospel. What's your excuse? She would go to school and she would be bullied by everyone specifically and explicitly because she was a Christian. As a matter of fact, her teacher would bully her. Her teacher emailed my wife and said, hey, I want you to know, I allowed her to be bullied. I bullied her and gave her bad grades just because she was a Christian. But one day, I gave her an assignment that she could speak, she had to do it in English, practice her English, uh, that she could say whatever she wanted in front of the class as long as it was in English. What do you think she did? She preached the gospel. The teacher came up to her afterwards, repented, and gave her life to Jesus. And the only reason we know about this is because the teacher emailed my wife and told her all of this. Um, she, she was being physically assaulted by these two boys in the school. The principal found out about it, about to expel the boys. She runs into the office and says to the principal, do not expel these two kids. I forgive them. You should forgive them. Fifteen years old from an exceedingly broken situation. What's your excuse, it's not real. It's not real. I want you guys to pray this with me. Jesus, Jesus. You, can me. you can use me. Say it like you mean it. Come Jesus, you can use me. Jesus, can use my, excuses my excuses are lies. Are lies. Uh, my, unbelief my unbelief turns to faith today. My mouth, My mouth, you can use it. Can use it. My, hands, My hands, you can use them. Can use them. My, feet, My feet, you can use them. Can use them. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Listen to me, Gen Z, if you're younger than 28 in this room and you're older than like 15 or 16, you're a part of Gen Z and you have innovation in your bones. And you're going to redefine what missions looks like for this next generation. You're going to redefine missions in YWAM. I truly believe this. And you need to feel the permission to innovate and create and change the culture that you see around you of missions. When you go back home, you need to go do fire and fragrance, friend. You need to go do this. Everywhere you go, innovating and changing. If you're older in this room, uh, you're the disciplers and motivators and the, and the people that are going to look at Gen Z and all their brokenness and you're going to say, go, run after Jesus. Run after his calling on your life. I'm behind you and I'll do it with you. Um, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to write down just a simple paragraph or two. Based off of faith, believing that God can use you. Um, what do you want your life to look like in 20 years if you decide to take up faith that is biblical and looks like the book of Acts? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want your husband to see? What do you want your wife to see? What do you want your kids to see? What do you want your friends and family? What do you want your ministry to, what do you want to look like based off of this? Last thing I'll say. One day, I know this is kind of morbid, one day, You're going to (laughs) die. And you're going to be laid in the grave. And the only thing people are going to have to see to remember you is a tombstone. And on that tombstone, you're going to have two dates. You're going to have the day you're born. And you're going to have the day you die. And between the two, there's going to be a hyphen or a dash. And that dash... The, the time in between the first date and the second date will determine if your birth was significant and if your death mattered. Make the dash count. Make the time in between count. Start now. Do not waste it. The way you waste it is by unbelief. And so, what do you want the dash to look like? That's what I want you to write. Go for it for the next five or so minutes and then we'll... And yeah,
0: okay, you can write more of this tonight as you're going to bed or the prayer room, but I just felt a few things from the Lord while Derek was going he wanted to highlight a few people in this room. The first thing I saw was there is a spirit of insignificance in this DTS. And that there were some of you men and women that have come here, but you have this overall feeling that you don't belong, that you're just kind of forcing your way here. And God is like, I've brought you here, sister. I've brought you here, brother. And it's time to settle in and get down to business. This spirit of insignificance isn't just a little self-hatred or a little I don't fit in. It is unbelief. It is, I don't really know if I heard God. Today is the day you go, I heard the Lord, and I belong in this DTS. That's number one. If that's you, I just want you to boldly stand up as if you're taking ground, I belong to be here. Right now, stand up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Number two. I saw there's a handful of you that have come from very cautious families very cautious families and it's it maybe you know the big smile, this is an awesome gap year this is an awesome adventure with Jesus but let's make sure we line up the degree, let's make sure we line up this, if you're going to the nations, you're not getting in any danger, we're playing it safe and I saw it's a spirit of unbelief, it's a spirit that wants you to have plan A, B C and D and some of you feel the gunk sitting here like I, I want to engage and fully partake, but I've got plan B in the pocket just in case this experience isn't so good and God doesn't speak to me. Is that resonating with anybody? If anybody needs to get the gunk of caution off of them from their family, from their voices, I want you to stand up and we're going to get it off today. Number three, this is a wild one. But number three, some of you have come from jobs that you're ready to go home to or you're in a relationship right now. You're dating somebody that you know God has somebody better for you. But the unbelief has come in like Derek's saying and go, I'm only worth somebody like this. I could never really marry a leader. I could never really marry someone all that special. Look who I married. It's a miracle. God has somebody. God has somebody for you. But I saw there's a handful of you God is calling to take action. It was like a job lined up that you're supposed to say, sorry, I'm, I, I, I can't do it. I'm not coming back for this. Or, sorry, boyfriend, it's time to go. Goodbye. Hanging up block number. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now. God wants to meet you in it. There we go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Here's what we're going to do. I don't want to do a repeat after me prayer. I want, if you're feeling the the weight of unbelief that says, I am insignificant, I am whatever, I want you, and the rest of the class, I want you to stand up and support. I want you to lift your voice in thunderous faith. God can provide a future for me. God can prepare a way. God will provide friendships. Can we erupt in a wild, spontaneous prayer, lifting our voices right now? Are you ready? Are we really ready to make some noise? All right, unleash. Three, two, one, go.
1: Last thing we're going to do. Last thing we're going to do. Some of you need to just do this just for the sheer of breaking silence off your life. We're going to lift a shout on the count of three, just as loud as you can. If you're a quiet person, today's your day. Uh, And I I want you to do this not as a charismatic gimmick to end something, but truly as a declaration for yourself. Uh, I don't want to be silent anymore with my life. I don't want to be silent anymore with my voice. Um, So on the count of three, we're going to lift up, shout Jesus, uh, and then we're going to go to lunch. Does that sound good? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Jesus! Let's go. Thank you so much for listening. For more of freedom,
0: stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance Podcast.